right, if you would, take your Bible this morning and join me in the book of Acts, in chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 12. Acts chapter 1. Verse number 12. And when you read this text of Scripture, I think you're going to find a Bible story that maybe is not the most familiar to us. But is at the same time a story that we have heard a million different times. In a million different places. In a million different books and television shows and movies and radio broadcasts if you're old enough for that kind of thing. A kingdom lies in darkness. As a powerful curse settles on the land, a crime wave breaks through Gotham City. The galactic empire expands its reach and strangles the life out of the free planets. But just at the right time, Frodo emerges from the Shire with the One Ring. Luke Skywalker appears from Tatooine to harness the power of the Force and bring down the Death Star Batman emerges from the shadows and thwarts the plans of the Joker. At just the right time, a hero emerges. A leader emerges to push back the forces of evil, to take control, to take charge, and then to chart a new course for his people. It's a story we all know. It's a story that repeats itself in history over and over and over again. But it's also a story that happens in the lives of God's people from time to time. In fact, it could be this morning that God has been preparing some of you to become that leader. Not that you're ever going to be Batman or Luke Skywalker. That's not what I mean. We believe today that Jesus is the hero of every story. But Jesus, the hero, does use people in the story. And he uses ordinary people to help others. He uses ordinary people sometimes to effect great change. He uses ordinary people to be an incredible blessing. And it could be that some of you have been experiencing really amazing growth in your walk with the Lord over the past weeks or months or maybe even years. Maybe it's been uncomfortable. Maybe God's been stretching you. Maybe it's been very difficult. Or maybe it's been very refreshing. But it could be that God has been preparing you to become the leader that He wants you to be. Or maybe you're here today and you've maybe got a sense that that God has a special plan for your life or a call upon your life, and you don't know what it looks like. You're not sure exactly how it's going to work out, but you sense that God has something for you. I think maybe, if that's you this morning, that this passage of Scripture, where the Apostle Peter steps into a new kind of leadership role, can teach us what it looks like when followers of Jesus begin to become leaders who help other people follow Jesus. So let's read Acts chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 12 together. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, Brothers, this scripture had to be fulfilled 
which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted to share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. I'm willing to bet that in your Bible, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, it's probably titled, The Acts of the Apostles. And I don't want to tell you that's wrong, but it's not really accurate. Because the book of Acts is not really the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. The book of Acts records for us the incredible growth of the Jesus movement. As the followers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of Jesus... Take the gospel, the message of Jesus, further than anybody could have ever possibly imagined. And what you see in the book of Acts is not a group of people who are doing something great for Jesus. But what you see in the book of Acts is Jesus doing something amazing through a group of people. This is not about what people do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus does through his people. And in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, Jesus does some amazing things through his people. You see Peter preach in Acts chapter number 2, and 3,000 people are converted and brought into the family of God. You see in Acts chapter number 9, Peter, so filled with the Holy Spirit that he's able to raise a lady named Tabitha from the dead. You see later on, after the conversion of Paul, you see Paul so filled with the Holy Spirit that people are actually touching his handkerchief, and their sicknesses are being healed. Now understand today that I don't have that kind of power. This is all for decoration. That's all this does. All right? But you see this incredible spiritual power that they have in Acts. But they're not there yet. In Acts chapter 1, you have the church in sort of a holding pattern. Jesus has already ascended back to the Father. And he's told them to return to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit from heaven. So Jesus has gone up, but the Spirit hasn't come down. And they're waiting and waiting trying to figure out what's next, trying to figure out what the next season of their ministry and their life as a church is going to look like. And on top of that, they have to navigate the really, really traumatic issue of the betrayal of Jesus by one of their friends and fellow apostles, Judas. Judas, whom they trusted, Judas, whom they believed in, has betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. And not only did he commit suicide, but man, he fell from that rope and burst in twain. And it's just a mess. And they know it's a mess, and so they've got to figure out how they move past this moral failure of a beloved leader. And so they're waiting. But who is it that steps up while they wait to lead? Who is it that uses his hand providentially 
to steady the ship in these uncertain waters. Well, wouldn't you know it, it's Simon Peter. Unstable, unreliable, brash, braggadocious, self-reliant, self-promoting. Peter steps up and becomes the leader that God always wanted him to be. And the truth is today that the Apostle Peter is living out what I believe God wants for all of us as his people. And that is, there should come a moment in all of our lives when as followers of Jesus, we start to help other people follow Jesus. As followers of Jesus, there should come a moment when we start to help other people take their next steps in their relationship with Jesus. You see, Jesus told the disciples before he ascended in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he says to them here, particularly verse number 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so what he's saying is, guys, the time has come where you are not just following me, but you are bringing other people along in that journey. Now, this looks different for each of us. Don't misunderstand me. To different degrees, God does want us to lead and influence others. But it doesn't look the same in every Christian life. It doesn't look the same for a pastor as it might for a stay-at-home mom who leads her family. And it doesn't look the same as a stay-at-home mom as it might for a factory worker or a retired grandparent. It may look different for all of us, but God does want all of us, like Peter, to use the influence that we have to help other people take their first steps and their next steps in their relationship with Jesus. So how does he do it in this passage of Scripture? Well, let me show you what it looks like. First, we'll say it this way. Godly leaders are good for other people. Godly leaders are good for other people. Some Christians ain't good for nothing. Not any of y'all. I'm not talking to y'all. Just I've heard about some somewhere. And some are only really good for themselves. But as we mature and as we grow, and what you see in this passage of Scripture is that Simon Peter's walk with Jesus starts to spill over into the lives of other people. Lessons that you have watched Peter learn over the past few weeks of studying his life, he starts to be able to teach to other people. In fact, notice what happens in verse number 15. That in these days of waiting, after Jesus has ascended and before the Spirit of God descends, the Bible says Peter stood up among the brothers. He stood up among the brothers. I love that glimpse of Peter's leadership. Because it teaches us that for leadership, that for Peter, leadership meant the stewardship of relationship. You know what leadership in the church is? Leadership in the church is the stewardship of relationships. Peter is not leading from the front saying, everybody just follow me. There may be an element of leadership in that, but that's not what Peter does. Peter certainly is not leading from the back saying, I really think y'all need to go that way. But Peter is leading from the middle, right? He's among his brothers, showing the kind of leadership that Jesus had shown to his disciples. Because Jesus had shown his disciples. You can see this in Mark chapter 10 and a number of other places. That in his kingdom, that leaders would not be about grabbing power. Leaders would not be about holding on to power. Leaders would not be even about exercising power. But leaders would be about humbling themselves to serve others. See what Jesus says here. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, 
And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, the way leadership works in my kingdom is that it's the people at the bottom who take on themselves the responsibility of serving others. Those are the people that lead. And Jesus said, not only is that the way it's going to be in my kingdom, Jesus said, I will model that for you. Because Jesus says, even I did not come for people to gather around me and to serve me. But I came to serve others. Jesus came laying down his power, laying down his authority, laying down his rights for the good of other people. And what you see Peter doing here, as he takes on responsibility for other people, is you see Peter laying down his rights. Now, this is important for us. Because Jesus teaches us, I think, that if we're too big to serve, then we're too big to lead. We're too big to serve. We're too big to lead. Jesus says that it's the servants who are the last of all that are qualified to lead. And so for Peter, the Bible would show us a man who's leading out of relationships that matter. Now, Peter had always, it seems like for Peter, his walk with Jesus had always been kind of his thing. Now, sure, he had, he had walked with Jesus with his brother. He had walked with Jesus with James and John. He had walked with Jesus with the other 12. But it seems like this has always been about Peter. It's always been about what he felt. It's always been about what he experienced. But now it's about more people than just him. You see that in verse number 12, I think. And then in verse number 13. Because when the Bible starts to give this list of names of people who are present... In this early prayer meeting in the church, Peter's name is mentioned first. And I do think it's important his name is mentioned first. I think it does underscore his authority and his leadership role. But while Peter's name is mentioned first, Peter's name is not the only name that's mentioned. There are other people that are present. And there's something remarkable about the people that are present here. The Bible names the disciples, the apostles, but then notice what it says in verse number 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Isn't it interesting that the Bible just goes out of its way here to highlight that Mary the mother of Jesus was there as were Jesus' brothers. Now I want you to think through this with me. Think about what this means for Peter. Peter had been following Jesus for a little over three years at this point. How long had Mary been walking with Jesus? Mary had been walking with Jesus since before anybody else knew about Jesus, right? We don't know exactly how old Peter is here. Peter is probably in his mid-twenties at the oldest. It's very likely that Mary had been following Jesus longer than Peter had been alive. Because she had known about this for, since Jesus was you know, in her womb, since Gabriel told her. And so she's been in on this for 30 years. But Peter is still there in one accord with somebody who's been following Jesus for decades longer than he has. But the Bible also says that Peter is here with the brothers of Jesus. We know from John chapter number 7 that during his earthly ministry, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. In fact, they tended to think that Jesus maybe was a little bit, you know, all the sinners weren't firing for Jesus. But it appears that after the resurrection, after they saw Christ risen from the dead, then they believed And so if they've only believed after the resurrection, they've only been believers for a few weeks. And yet here is Peter, one of the disciples, in this thing for three years, who's learned so much from Jesus, fellowshipping with people that have been saved for 30 years, 
and with people that have been saved for 30 minutes. Isn't that important? And isn't that interesting? That Peter recognizes that he needs people that have been walking with Jesus longer than him. And people who haven't been walking with Jesus as long as him need something he has to offer. Can I tell you today that one of the benefits of being in a church family is that it forces you to rub shoulders with people that have been walking with Jesus longer than you've been walking with Jesus. That it forces you to be around people that have experiences you haven't earned yet. That God has answered prayers that you haven't had to pray yet for them. That have matured, that have struggled, and that have walked with Jesus for a long time. But it also forces those people to be in relationship with people that can't find the Old Testament in their Bible. And we need one another. And I really think today, I really think that one of the, the real flaws in the way churches like ours are organized is that we group everybody together just kind of by their age group all the time. You know, and so, so we put all the babies in one place, and we put the kids in one place, and the teenagers in one place, and the senior citizens in one place, and we never interact with one another. I don't know that they would have understood any of that in Acts chapter number 1. I think they would have looked at it and said, no, the younger believers need the mature believers. And the mature believers need the younger believers. That's what the Bible says in Titus chapter 2. It talks about older women. We don't have any of those here, but older women mentoring younger women. That's another problem we have at our churches. We've only got young women here, and we need some older women to mentor the older men, we've got plenty of those around here. The old guys are supposed to mentor the younger men. But Peter at least realizes that he's connected to all of these people. He's connected to people like Mary. And he's connected to those that are younger than him. And so Peter steps up to steward those relationships, realizing that the relationships he has matters. When I started in seminary, one of the first classes that I took in the very first semester was a class called Spiritual Formations. And in the, what they're really trying to do in the class is make sure that as a seminary student, you're reading your Bible. You know, they just feel like that's important. But what they, what they do, what you study in that class is, is how people are formed, transformed spiritually, the theology of how that works biblically. But you also study the history of how Christians have believed people have been formed spiritually. Over the centuries, how have Christians tried to help other Christians mature? And early in the class, we studied this group of people called the Desert Fathers. And I don't know if you've ever heard of these group of guys or not. If you haven't, it's okay. But they were uh, some guys who lived in the 3rd and 4th century. And they were so worried about the sin in their life and in their heart. And they were so worried about the worldliness in culture around them that they literally retreated to the desert to live in caves and to pray. Some of them fasted for like three years at a time. And they wrote down all these incredible supposed visions they had about fighting the devil and slaying dragons and demons and all this kind of stuff. And one of them lived on top of a post for like 30 years. He just sat up there and prayed. Just this unreal group of guys. And the way the class was kind of taught, some of us started to feel guilty that, that we weren't living in the desert. Like I had breakfast this morning and maybe I don't love Jesus because of that, you know. But then as, we, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, maybe they were tuned into something I'm not tuned into. But none of those guys ever had to raise kids. How godly do they think they are? None of them ever had a wife. How patient do you think they were? And even though it may seem very, very spiritual just to retreat into yourself, the truth is the Christian life is a life lived in relationship with other people. And without those relationships, your Christian life is never going to be what Jesus wants it to be. But it's so easy for us today to have our own curated 
spiritual experience delivered right to us, isn't it? Like my favorite preachers are sent to my phone every day. I've got my playlist of the music that I want to hear. And so I can have my own individual walk with Jesus that never includes anybody else. But I'm telling you today from the life of Simon Peter that if God is ever going to use you, He will use you in the life of somebody else. He will use you in the life of somebody else. So godly leaders are good for other people. Notice secondly today, godly leaders are grounded in prayer and Scripture. This passage of Scripture that we read in Acts chapter number 1 takes place at a prayer meeting. And while they're at their prayer meeting praying, they interrupt their praying to pray some more. And to talk about praying. And to pray about some other stuff. This whole passage of Scripture shows us the picture of a praying church. And it shows us a church that is in a moment where they have to pray. Because they desperately need the coming of the Spirit of God. Now I think there's a key difference between where our church is after Acts 1 and where this church is in Acts 1. Before the day of Pentecost, they needed to pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. After Pentecost, we need to pray like the Spirit has come. There's a key difference there. But here these people are praying, and they're praying, and they're also praying through the difficulty of Judas's sin. Now think with me about how traumatic this must have been for the disciples who had walked with Jesus for three years. And for those three years, Judas had been right there with them. He had preached with them. He held the money for them. He was at the table when they ate together. He was there when Jesus walked on the water. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He was there when Jesus cast out demons. He was one of them. So much so that these people could not imagine what it would be like to follow Jesus without having Judas there. What does it look like to have a relationship with Jesus now that Judas has been gone? Because out of nowhere, when nobody saw it coming, Judas had betrayed the Lord, turned him over to be arrested, and then after he's committed this horrible, heinous sin, overwhelmed with grief, Judas goes and commits suicide. And so now a friend they trusted, a leader that they followed, somebody whose life had been wrapped up in their walk of faith is gone. And there's no explanation for it. There's no way to work through this with Judas, is there? There are no answers. It's over and it's traumatic and it's horrific. But they have to go forward. In this moment of transition. I'll say to you today, first of all, that often in our life of faith, the most trying moments in our life of faith are moments of transition. Many young parents are not prepared for how the transition from being a young married couple to being a young parent affects their spiritual relationship. And it will. Many older men, I told you we got a bunch of those around here, right? Many older men are not prepared for what happens to them spiritually as they cycle out of their, uh, their working life and move into retirement. Many moms are not prepared for what's going to happen to them spiritually as they become empty nesters and the kids are out of the house. Times of transition are often difficult for the people of God. And in those moments, that's exactly when we need to make sure that we are people of prayer and Scripture. But how much more... 
when the transition involves a faithful leader in the church whose life blows apart into a million pieces. Most of us know what that's like, don't we? I had an experience, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, maybe not quite that long ago, where I had five of my best friends in ministry had to leave ministry within six months because of moral failures. And that affects you when you trust people, when you're invested in people, when you believe in people. And then they practice a pattern of deception. And they let you down. And it's easy to begin to think, well, if those people weren't sincere, maybe none of it's real. And we don't know what to do. Well, I'll tell you what you do. You pray and you read the Bible. I mean, we really, we really do want some kind of silver bullet for our spiritual life, don't we? We really, really do want like this magic formula for our community life as a church when what God has given us is His Word and prayer. And what Peter does here is remarkable because he takes the Word of God before the church and he's so in tune with the Word of God He's learned it so well that he's able to take two different psalms. He does it in verse number 20. And he takes Psalm chapter 69 and Psalms chapter 109. And he says that these psalms that were written by David about his experiences, they're actually about Judas and Jesus. These psalms that were written a thousand years before Judas betrayed Jesus, they're all about Judas. How in the world could Peter make that interpretive leap? How in the world could he read his Bible and come to that conclusion? Well, I think the answer is because he knew how to read the Bible the way Jesus read the Bible. And he's developing this instinct that the apostles will have to see Jesus as the hero of every story. To see Jesus on every page. And he says, guys, listen, this is all part of God's plan for his people. Part of God's plan for his church. And we should realize that God wants us to focus our eyes on Jesus. You know what Peter's doing here? This is what's so remarkable about this passage. Peter is stepping into leadership. In this fragile moment in the life of the early church. And he's teaching to the church a lesson that he had learned earlier. Go back in your mind to the story of Matthew chapter 14. Where Jesus walks on the water. Remember the disciples are terrified. They're all getting ready to die. And that will ruin your mood for anybody. And they see Jesus walking to them on the water. And Peter figures out it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, I'm coming. And he steps out, right? And he begins to walk on the water. But then what happens? The Bible says when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out and said, Lord, save me. What happened for Peter? When he got his eyes off of Jesus and onto his circumstances, he started to sink. Do you know what Peter's doing in Acts chapter number 1? Peter is taking the spiritual lesson he learned there and he's bringing it to church. And he's saying, listen, if we get our eyes off of Jesus, church, we're sunk. And he says, yes, we might be in the middle of a storm. But believe me, you don't want to get your eyes off of Jesus in the middle of a storm. Because you will sink. And it will not be good. So Peter said, take it from me. Because I know what it's like to snort that sea water up into my nose. I know what it's like to cough and to choke and to sputter. Because I got my eyes off of Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Do you realize what godly leadership really is? Godly leadership is taking the lessons that you have learned in your own life. And through the help of the Lord, teaching them to other people. And that's what Peter's doing in this passage of Scripture. Through prayer and through reading the Word, he's able to take the Word to people and help them. And he's able to do it in prayer. Now, Peter has become a man of prayer. And seeing the wind, he began to sink. 
and crying out said, Lord, save me. I think that would help your prayer life. And Peter's developing a prayer life. The people of God in Acts chapter number 1 are a praying people. Sometime you should read the book of Acts and you should see how central prayer is to the life of the church. It's amazing when you realize that the church in the book of Acts did not have a building. They did not have seats. They did not have screens. They did not have microphones. They had nothing. But they prayed. And God used them. And they're praying already. Before anything happens in Acts chapter number 1, they're praying. You know why they're praying? Why is it that in the book of Acts, prayer is inevitable for the church? Why is it that prayer is as natural to them as breathing is to us? You know why it is? Because for three years they've been hearing from Jesus. And for three years they've been talking with Jesus. And just because he's ascended back to heaven doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. They want to keep the conversation going. And so they read scripture and they pray. You'll find an interesting scene later in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter number 6. The church grows and it gets to the point where Peter and the other disciples really can't manage it anymore. It's too big. And so they have to get some helpers. We think probably the first deacons. And the church selects them in Acts chapter number 6. And one of the things Peter says to the church is, it's really not right that we should leave the ministry of the word and prayer and serve tables. And what he's saying there is that as the leaders of the church, we need to be focused on studying, understanding, and preaching and communicating the word and prayer. And I heard, I heard a preacher say one time, and it made so much sense. He said that the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer in the life of the church, they are like the two wings on an airplane. If you're flying out of Birmingham Shuttlesworth International Airport, and you turn south and you're looking over the campus of Sanford University as you fly towards Florida, and one of the wings falls off, it's not going to be good. That little plastic cup that's going to come out for you to breathe, that's not going to help you. Not a bit. If you're sitting on the, air, on the runway ready to take off, and you've only got one wing, you're not going to take off. You have to have both to create lift. And I think the church leaders here in Acts chapter 1, they've already understood that they have to have Scripture and prayer to create lift. But what I want to tell you today as an individual believer, what's true about your church is also true about you. You have to have prayer and scripture to create lift in your walk with the Lord. See, some of y'all today, you, you are what I call, you are just a Jesus slave. Now, you've been saved and, and, and you love Jesus, but your spiritual life does not involve any prayer. And it does not involve reading the word. To you, God so loved the world that he gave us a job. And you think that the entire Christian experience is just stuff that you have to do. It's about serving on committees. It's about working at church. In fact, for you, if you come to church and they need somebody to, to fill in a gap, you're happy to fill it, even if it means that you continually miss worship. Because to you, your walk with God is more about work than it is worship. Then there are some of y'all, what I'm going to call Jesus shoppers. All right? Now, for you, you've got what you think of as a dynamic, vibrant, active prayer life. You pray about anything and you pray about everything all the time. But that prayer life is not really connected to anything in the Bible. All right, And so really all you're ever praying for is for God to give you a better parking place at Target. Now I know that Jesus came so that you wouldn't have to exercise and walk across the parking lot. I get, all, I get all that. But maybe there's more depth that you need from being grounded in the Word. And then there's some of us, and I'm implicating me here, we're just Jesus students. Like just, just send us to church for an hour and give us a book to read. And we'll be happy. And we'll feel like God has moved 
and we'll feel like we've been fed. But it's easy for us just to absorb information and never experience the transformation that comes from prayer. We need prayer and Scripture. And finally, I'll say this. Godly leaders are guided by faith. You have to make a decision. If you're Peter and if you're the church, you have to make a decision. One of the apostles is dead. And you need another one. And you've got two men for the job. But you've only got one job. How does the early church feel a vacancy? What do you do? Well, you know what to do, right? You form a committee. And then you argue about it for six months. And then you get a bunch of background checks, right? And then what you do is you, once you've um, checked somebody's credit score, then you bring it to the church and then let the whole church fight about it. And then you come in for an interview. And then you disband that committee and then you start over. You know what they did? They, they stinking cast lots. <laughs> and all that means, that's all, literally nothing more than drawing straws or flipping a quarter. Start rolling a dice. All right, Matthias, heads or tails? <laughs> what? Why, how, why would they do that like this? It absolutely makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense for, for anybody to fill a position of this importance to be one of the 12 disciples. I mean, goodness, y'all. Why do they do this? It makes no sense unless you believe that God actually is sovereign over even the smallest details of the life of his people. That's why I had Sister Kelly read those verses for us in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now, I am not suggesting today that we cast lots for ministry positions here. <laughs> but what I am saying to you is that to be an effective leader, to really minister well to other people, you are going to have to be a person who trusts Jesus for big decisions and in little things. You're going to have to live your life in the posture of saying, it's all in Christ's hands. It's all in God's hands. And His plan is going to be right. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean to your own understanding. Now, you know what that tells me? That leaning to my own understanding is the antithesis of trusting in the Lord with all my heart. What I can see, what I can figure out, what I can make sense of, the way I can make the numbers fit. That's leaning to my own understanding. Then Solomon said, in all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path or he will make straight your paths. I was listening to a sermon one time. I was mowing grass and listening to a sermon by J.D. Greer who pastors Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. And he was preaching from that passage of scripture. And he said one of the most profound life-changing things I've ever heard. And he said... And this, this may not strike you the way it struck me, but I think somebody maybe needs to hear this. Maybe you're, you're, you're making some decision or you're thinking about what the future looks like for you and you're trying to, well, what you're doing is you're leaning to your own understanding. Let's just call it what it is, all right? But here's what he said. He said from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 6, he said that my responsibility is to take care of what's on the first half of that comma. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's my responsibility. Then he said, God's responsibility and his promise is that he will take care of everything on the other side of the comma. And he will make straight your paths. He will direct your paths. If you are going to become a godly leader, 
And however that looks, however much capacity or responsibility God may give you, like Peter, you're going to have to become a person who acknowledges the Lord in all of your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And rest in the promise that on the other side of the comma, the Lord has said, I will direct your paths. I will direct your paths. Is your life guided by that kind of faith? Are you guided by prayer and scripture? Are you good for anybody else? Are you living an isolated life, a faithless life? A life not directed by scripture? A life not devoted to prayer? If so, you're really not fit to lead. But Peter here is becoming fit to lead. Because he's living a life of trust. A life saturated with the word and committed to prayer. A life where he cares about the responsibilities that exist within the relationships that he's been given. Is that you today? Maybe today you're at a point in your life and you feel like your Christian life is outgrowing you. That's a good thing. Because what that means is that God wants to take what he's been doing you in you and he wants to use it in the life of somebody else. But a lot of times we get so in our head, don't we? And we don't know what the Lord wants us to do. We can't figure out if the Lord just wants us to smile and open the door at church when people come in or if he wants us to surrender to the mission field and go to the Congo. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Let's stand together today. Let's pray quickly before we have our invitation. Our Father... We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to your people, to use your people and to help your people. And Lord, we thank you for how we see that in Acts chapter number 1. And God, I pray that we would trust that you would work in our lives just as you worked in the life of this church. That in an uncertain and an uneasy season, you guided them and took care of them. And you used an ordinary person to help them. Father, help us to be the ordinary people that would serve and that would help. Do your work in our lives, we pray right now. And Lord, I ask in Christ Jesus' strong name that you would help us to surrender everything to you because you're worthy of our lives. And we pray in his name. Amen.